Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back everyone. Featuring on today's show is author and founder of the positive birth movement, Millie Hill. Today we discuss the lessons and insights gained through her own birth experiences and she shares how a small weekly column catapulted her to become one of the leading voices for women's rights in childbirth. Taking snippets from her book, Give Birth Like a Feminist, we chat about why the language used in your birth space can be so influential, the significance of a birth plan, and so much more. It gives me the greatest pleasure to share this inspiring woman with you all today. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Millie. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me. I guess we'll jump straight into your own journey and chatting about the births of your three beautiful children. How were those experiences and how did they impact you? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think like most women, I hadn't really thought much about giving birth before I first became pregnant, um, other than to think, God, that looks completely terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't want to do that, really. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so then... Before I um, had, well, when, when I was first pregnant, I was actually working as a therapist, a group therapist. So I was quite, um, you know, involved in that world. And, you know, I think that had has had quite a big influence on, you know, how I've approached things since. But anyway, um, yeah, first, first pregnancy, it sort of hit me straight away as soon as I found out I was pregnant, that kind of the fear mm. of having to actually give birth. Yeah, I was... Um, I can remember like doing the pregnancy test and thinking, oh my God, I'm pregnant. That's amazing. And then as soon as I'd thought that had that thought, the second thought was, oh my God, I now I have to get this baby out somehow. So yeah. I was very, very scared and I just thought it looked horrific and it looked impossible and it, you know, it terrified me. So I guess I'm quite a sort of, um, you know, an avid reader and sort of learner and researcher type person. So I just went on this real kind of obsessive mission during that pregnancy to learn as much as I could. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up unfortunately going overdue, which I now know is 
my what my body does because I've had three babies um I had all of them at 42 weeks yeah okay um but the first um time it happened obviously from about you know 40 weeks or just after 40 weeks people started to talk about you know what what was going to happen and you know it was kind of framed as this big problem and I was already as I've just said really terrified anyway so I think it kind of really in that experience I learned a lot about how you know a woman's lack of trust in her own body combined with a kind of systemic lack of trust in women's bodies is a real toxic cocktail when it comes to those last few days of pregnancy and what happens in the birth room itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's one of those experiences in life that you need to go into feeling, yeah, I can do this. You know, yeah, absolutely. you need to go into it feeling, you know, like I've got this and it felt like everything around me and in, and within me, kind of was going against that and saying that you you know this isn't going to happen for you this is this is you know you're not you're not able to do this this isn't going to work you know yeah so that was a real journey yeah (laughs) and what model of care did you choose for that birth um well I chose to have um to opt for a home birth and that was because two friends at the time um were midwives and both of them sort of whispered to me have a home birth you know that's the best thing to do because you'll get two midwives you'll get continuity of care you know it's better better thing to do and they were people I trusted so I thought okay well I'll opt for a home birth then Mm -hmm. um which I think was pretty brave of me considering how scared I was when I look back on it I kind of you know wow um but in the end obviously I didn't have a home birth because I went overdue as as far as the system goes um in the UK um I was told you know, you can't have a home birth now. So I can really remember actually taking down all the, I had my bedroom really set up, you know, (laughs) to have this home birth. And, you know, I stuck all these pictures up on the wall and it was all like, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't planning on a water birth either at that point because I didn't, I wasn't really attracted to that idea at all. And then I went on to have my second two in the water and uh, was, it was amazing. But anyway, you live and learn, don't you? These are all things, you know, as you go along, you know, you kind of, you live and learn. So how did you feel after that experience? Well, I mean, in a way it was it was a bit traumatic but I mean mm-hmm. having had long conversations with many women over the past sort of 10-15 years about their birth experiences I mean not that you can you can't really sort of like measure trauma with a sort of you know naught to 10 system or anything but I think if you could I would say that mine was at the lower end of of the scale you know um I had a really positive they realized that I was kind of like wanted a home birth and was kind of reluctantly coming to hospital and they looked after me really well and I because I was induced I kind of like took quite a lot of my stuff with me to hospital which is quite a good advantage of being induced because you kind of you don't have to rush there you know so I took my pictures off the wall at at home and stuck them back up on the hospital wall and stuff and um you know I was really well cared for and I had a midwife that I knew um and so there were lots of things that were positive about it it was just unfortunate that you know it's so crazy to go over these things this many years later isn't it I mean it's just one woman's birth but you know there there were things I learned from it for example I should have eaten yeah um, <laughs> which sounds so sort of trivial but I mean knowing myself that I, how I how I am when I haven't had enough to eat um, and my blood sugar really drops I can't 
believe that I didn't think of something that basic, you know, at the time. And nobody else around me thought of it either. So I was kind of like in hospital overnight, the induction worked, and I just didn't have any breakfast, didn't have any lunch, you know, so I was laboring all day. And you think, oh, these simple things, you know. Um, But anyway, so I had a forceps delivery in the end, but it was right at the very end. And, you know, it was on the whole, it was a a positive experience. Um, But it taught me a lot about, you know, the, you know, the system and choice and myself and a lot of those things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And your second baby, you decided to go back and try for another home birth? Well, obviously, I'd wanted to have a home birth the first time anyway. So I kind of still felt like, you know, I'd still read lots of home birth stories and spoken to people and everybody said, oh, this is, you know, such a lovely positive experience. So, um, yeah, the second birth, I decided I was going to have a home birth. I was even more scared, I think, the second time in a weird way. Really? Well, I think so, because obviously, you know, I I felt like even though I'd had a baby, I'd never gone into labor naturally. Mm. <laughs> and I'd never... Um, had a baby without help if that makes sense so I still felt in some way that possibly I wouldn't be able to do it you know that there was something defective yeah (laughs) (laughs) about me I still had those doubts so was there anything you did during your pregnancy to help remove those fears I think um one thing that was different for me in the second pregnancy was the realism of it all I think I mean, I don't know if other people will relate to this, but I think when, you, when you're first pregnant for the first time, you know, you don't, you, you know, it's like that joke people say, oh, oh, I knew I was pregnant, but nobody told me I was going to have a baby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, when they hand the baby to you, or, or you, you know, if you're lucky, if you catch your own baby the first time, you know, it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? You're like, wow, that really was a baby in there, you know? So I think the second time I kind of like faced facts. I, I think I was like, right there is a baby in there and this time I'm definitely have got to have this baby no matter you know it doesn't matter whether I have a cesarean or another forceps delivery or whatever happens somehow this baby which is actually real and is definitely growing inside me has got to come out (laughs) so it kind of made me face up to it a bit more I think and one of the things I did that I remember being really transformative was watching birth films yeah in my first pregnancy I was too scared um, I didn't want to watch birth films because the only birth films I'd ever seen were like really, really horrific, yeah. <laughs> you know, like kind of school video stuff beyond the movies. And I thought, and everyone said, oh, it's really helpful to watch birth films. And I was like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I've already seen a few. And to be honest, they, they are the thing that's causing me the most concern. <laughs> so, uh, but then I found, I don't think it even exists anymore, but there was this thing at the time called My Birth TV. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things, you know, how fast technology's moved and now we can all watch really amazing birth films on Instagram, but it didn't even exist then. This was 10, it, it, nearly 11 years ago. Um so yeah, I found this this uh, sort of natural birth, home birth kind of hub of videos online, and I watched this one film, and I still remember it so clearly. I was like, oh my god, this is so. It just upended everything that I'd thought to be true, you know, about how you could have a baby, and it was just this really dark, you know, film with this woman in a birth pool, and there was you couldn't see any other people. I mean, I'm sure there were some other people around somewhere, but it was just her in the pool, and she was kind of like, you know, just moaning, you know, in a low, calm way, just kind of like you could see she was very still, breathing, and then you could see when she was having a contraction, she was just kind of like rocking back and forth on her knees, and then and then just suddenly, it was like a sort of 
rustle of movement in her body, you know, just sort of like put up her hands down and pulled this baby up to her chest in the water. Wow. And it was like, oh my God, <laughs> I've never seen anyone give birth like that before. Yeah. I'd kind of been told that that kind of birth happened, but I think when you actually see it, you know, it's like, it really is quite healing just to watch and, you know, it helps you to believe in it, you know, rather than it being like a sort of anecdotal, mythical thing yeah. that people talk about. <laughs> Do you want the very best for your precious one's delicate skin? Well, look no further than What Not Naturals. They're extending a very generous 15% discount on their products with the code PBA2023 to celebrate the launch of their all new baby skincare range. Whatnot's baby skincare collection is the only brand in Australia with certified organic aloe vera as the star ingredient. And with their eco-friendly refill pouches, Whatnot is dedicated to products that benefit your baby and our planet. So take a stride towards gentle, natural skincare today and experience the Whatnot difference. Head to the link in the show notes or www.whatnot.com.au or find them on Instagram at Whatnot Naturals. Your baby skin will thank you. So that really helped me and I, I, uh, you know, that sort of made me think, okay. And then I got some really fantastic midwives on board, um, which was the best decision I'd ever made. Uh, had some money um, in a bank account, which was meant to be savings for a deposit on a house. And I used some of it um, to pay for independent midwives. Um, and that was quite late in my pregnancy that I made that decision. And it was, I think, as it got closer and closer to my due date, I started to get more and more anxious about what would happen if I went overdue again, you know, and I just felt like I needed other people around me who believed in birth, you know, who kind of had that confidence and that faith in me and in my body and who also understood, you know, you know, the emotional journey and who had time to listen to me and indulge me a bit in my fears because I was afraid I was already afraid in the first pregnancy then I'd had this forceps of the arena and I was really lacking confidence and I needed people around me who could sort of help me with that bit I think so Mm -hmm. these these two midwives they came around my house when I was probably about 35 weeks pregnant and they just walked into the room and it was like oh they're just so lovely (laughs) it was so lovely and uh, they were absolutely amazing um in that second so and how was that birth for you? It was absolutely beautiful. It was mm. one of the most beautiful days of my life, really. Um, it was perfect. Mm. Um, I went into labor. Um, in I started to feel things in the in the morning, and then, but it was kind of like very mild, and had a really big lunch. I was really hungry. So it was really mm-hmm. different to the time before where I hadn't eaten anything. I had this like, I sent my partner to the butchers and he came back with all these like sausages and bacon <laughs> and eggs and everything. I had this real high protein lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah. And then it just sort of started to get going and I had this lovely kind of um, afternoon, you know, of it just, just being in the pool as soon as the midwives came it was just even better because they were just so reassuring um you know my other little girl was kind of around she was about two and she had her auntie there to look after her they went for a lovely little walk in the sort of sunny may afternoon and they came back with this big bunch of like hedgerow flowers and gave them to me in the pool and you know it was just like it was it was just lovely it was it's 
perfect really um and then my my daughter was born sort of early evening i think um so it's hard to remember the exact time but yeah because it's um yeah so then you know the midwives stayed around and helped clear up and then off they went and i put my other little girl to bed and then we all went to bed and it was just like lovely you know i felt physically like completely fine i mean that's that is the really big deal i think about um you know forceps and you know i had an episiotomy the first time that took a really long time to heal and was really hard work you know and i think it's sort of you know that sort of physical scar combines with the emotional scar to make you know for me there was sort of like a a package deal of like Mm -hmm. you know the healing taking such a long time and it it was all sort of bound up emotionally as well yeah Uh, and kind of yeah and I mean when I see photographs of of myself after that first birth and then the photo of me after my second birth if you put them side by side it's just ridiculous you know I mean I look the first birth I look completely like haunted (sighs) pale you know just like absolutely like I've just been hit by a truck you know (laughs) and the second birth I've like got this glass of champagne in my hand (laughs) my face is like really really sort of flushed with color and my eyes are bright and I'm just like yay (laughs) so I mean yeah I felt completely different yeah and so did that experience help remove some of the fear that you had around birth? I think it changed the way, that changed the fear. I think I still, um, when I came to have my third baby, you know, still had um, some of the fear. Maybe that's a, I mean, it's maybe there's different, different types, different types of fear, maybe, because I think, you know, I think it's okay to have a healthy respect for, for the momentousness of what you're about to do. And the fact that things, bad things happen you know, it's, you know, it's not necessarily going to be okay. It probably is. But you know, you'd be naive if you went into having a baby without having any of those thoughts in your head of like, what if something goes wrong? I think that's part of what makes it such a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So I think, you know, there's a difference between that between having that kind of like healthy respect for it being a big deal and being really, really quite terrified. So my third birth was different again for me because I, at the time I was writing this really popular column in a uh, UK um, online magazine every week about birth. And everyone knew who I was and I was the founder of the Positive Birth Movement and I was writing all these things. And, you know, I felt that a different kind of pressure that time because I thought, of what if something goes wrong? Because everyone's going to be like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I could just see the headline, you know, like positive birth advocate dies in, you know, oh, whatever, no. you know, it's just, oh no, this is really bad. Um, so I felt a different pressure that time as yeah, well. Of course. And how was that birth? Um, it was a bit different again in terms of the fact that I didn't have, um, you know, the same emotional, you know, stuff going on as I did with my second birth because I'd I'd had a in inverted commas successful home birth. Um, and I'd, I'd gone into labor, um, without being induced, uh, which was one of my things I was curious as to whether I could Mm do. Um, and I'd also, um, had a baby myself. I hadn't had any assistance to give birth, um, in my second birth. And so it, you know, it was different from that respect, but, but then like I said, I was writing this column and it was kind of, I felt like eyes were on me in terms of, you know, what was going to happen. Um, I did feel a bit like a, a pressure. So I ended up not really documenting that birth very much 
on social media or, or in what I was writing just because I kind of wanted to keep it a little, if I could keep it a bit private, mm-hmm. which sometimes I look back on, I think, Oh, I wish I'd done more of, you know, taken more photos and been more public about it. But I think at the time I just wanted to keep my head down and just focus inwards really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool birth. I had another really cool home birth, water birth, um, with a lovely midwife and yeah, it was, it was really, really fantastic actually. Mm-hmm. Just another really lovely water birth. This time it was, I labored all night, so it was different to the other one, but they're all different. And also my waters broke before, uh, at the beginning of labor, which I'd never experienced. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was, there was so much of it and it just kept coming. <laughs> That's one of my pervading memories. Like, <laughs> in the end, I just, my midwife said, just get in the pool and then, and then you won't have to think about it yeah. anymore. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> where is this all coming from so yeah it yeah it was really but it was really lovely had lots of nice music and um, a lovely birth pool and yeah we were kind of renovating a house at the time so I had this oh, wow. we had this like empty room which was like part of the derelict bit of the house so we just t- turned it into a birth room <laughs> and hung it was really skanky in there and horrible, but we kind of like scrubbed it and hung loads of like throws on the walls and stuff. And Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. So jumping back to your column, what was the motivation behind that? Um, well, it was just kind of like the way life kind of sort of moves along really. Um, you know, I just, I think sort of writing about positive birth kind of came to me in a way rather than me setting out and thinking I'm going to write about positive birth it was it was like this there was this huge appetite for that conversation and a huge appetite for it to happen in the mainstream as well Mm -hmm. um so that was you know it just kind of happened first of all um, when I'd had my second birth um I so I had two babies I started writing a blog um, called the mule which some people still remember yeah. <laughs> uh, and it because it was really really popular and I only started to write, I didn't start writing that blog to write about birth I started writing it because I thought I'm gonna try and write a blog I think I was kind of like you know in that phase of motherhood where you kind of like start to think okay what am I gonna do now you know yeah. I'm really enjoying these two little people but ooh, who was I before this happened and so I kind of like started you know writing a little bit about um child development, parenting, you know, because I've been a therapist working with children and that kind of thing. And um, and I wrote stuff about my own experiences. And, you know, it was just kind of ex- an experimental blog, um, really, just sort of because I love writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so but every time I wrote about birth, everyone just went nuts for it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I ended up writing, um, I ended up right, getting an article in a, a UK paper called The Telegraph um, about independent midwifery because it was under threat as it still is um and then because of that article I got asked to write something about Kate Middleton's pregnancy because she was kind of like the press were kind of really um deriding her for her wanting to have do hypnobirthing and that kind of so I wrote an article about how you know women get mocked and judged for you know wanting to have a positive birth experience and you know so it just kind of like it just one thing leads to another in life doesn't it yeah (laughs) Um, but so my interest was kind of, you know, I suppose my interest in birth has always been more about, you know, women's lives, women's experiences and feminism really. Mm. And so at what point did that transform into books? Well, I mean, the positive birth book is a really, really long story. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) 
take um, the shorter you, version. Yeah, I'll try and give a short version. I mean, basically, um, a lot of that, when I wrote my column for Best Magazine, um, which I did for two and a half years, that's the one I was saying I was writing when I was having my third baby. Yeah. Um, that magazine, unfortunately, pulled the whole of its um, online arm. So whereas normally when you've written content online, you know, it stays there forever and ever. In fact, all of it went. So I had, you know, um, well, must have been 120 or something articles um, about every possible aspect of birth you could think of (laughs) and breastfeeding and motherhood and parenting that were just all back in back in my, um, you know, Dropbox kind of thing because they weren't online anymore. So some of the positive birth book content came from those. I mean, obviously, I didn't just directly put them across, but a lot of the work, I'd done so much research into every topic um, that a lot of that work was already sort of sat there. Mm-hmm. So that was partly the positive birth book. Um, I, when I started writing the positive birth book, it was a, a, had a different title, and I was co-writing it with someone. I, we then ended up kind of parting company because we had kind of slightly different vision for you know how the book was going to be. So that was another part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really really long, um, convoluted process. But in the end, um, yeah, I mean it was just. It was the obvious next step for me. It was something I really wanted to do, to write a book. But I never believed, I never would have believed how successful that book was going to be. I mean, you just don't know when you're writing a book, you don't know whether it's going to sell 10 copies or whatever, you know, just don't know. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been incredible, actually, yeah. how successful that book has been I mean it really is amazing yeah wow I'm a huge fan of all of your work but particularly your book give birth like a feminist and in that book you talk about the negative impact certain language in the birth space can have on a laboring mother which was really interesting for me because it's something that I had never really considered until that moment so could you give my listeners some examples of this and explain the harmful effect this can have on a woman's psyche well you know I think language is is very powerful basically so you know um it it helps to frame the experience for people so if you're talking you know for example i mean one of the things in the book is calling someone a good girl which a lot of midwives will defend because it's kind of what they're used to doing and they see it as a as an affectionate friendly thing but there's a kind of like it's a bit loaded, you know, so it's not just words. It has, it carries, um, for different people, it will carry a different connotation, mm-hmm. uh, but it can feel infantilizing. It can have like echoes of, you know, difficult childhood experiences. It's not, a lot of women just don't like it as kind of like adult feminists. They think, I don't want to be called a good girl, actually. Yeah. That's like, you know, I'm 30 years past that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, there's I mean, for other people, I think people find it helpful to, you know, to use language to reframe things. So, you know, some people don't like using the word um, contraction because, you know, it it sounds it sounds painful, (laughs) you know. So there are, you know, and there are there are lots of um, other bits of language in maternity care, which sometimes you know, are very sort of negative about women's bodies. So, for example, failure to progress or an incompetent cervix or um, a geriatric mother or whatever. You know, it's like there's some things that, you know, just are unhelpful 
and it you know it doesn't even take much analysis to see why you know they're just not very positive ways of framing things yeah sounds so simple doesn't it you also give some really fantastic info on birth plans and say that women should have a birth plan a b and c yeah <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah exactly i'm pretty a bit obsessed with birth plans um and I think it's, you know, one of the things that obsesses me about them, you know, and I, it was great to have an opportunity to write about this angle in Give Birth Like a Feminist, is that they are clearly a feminist issue. Mm-hmm. And the way you can see that they're a feminist issue is in the way that people talk about them and res- and frame them and respond to them. Because they get mocked, they get laughed at, they get joked about, they get derided. And, you know, if I see anything like that happening to women, I think, hang on a minute, you know, what, what's what's going on here? You know, rather than thinking that, oh, yeah, let's just dismiss this idea. It's I think it's really good to, like, say, hang on, if people are, are uh, if this is making people uncomfortable in the sense that they have to try and put them down and mock them, then maybe there's something in this. And I think there is. And I think what's in birth plans is a really powerful tool to disrupt the existing power dynamic in the birth room which works to women's detriment Mm -hmm. in a birth plan you can lay down on a piece of paper um, what you want but more than that it's evidence that you've put some thought into this and you know the power of the birth plan is kind of like 80 percent in the making of the plan and 20 percent in the actual piece of paper you end up with the process that you go through to make a proper birth plan um, not just to kind of tick box one but a birth plan where you've read a couple of books, you maybe gone on a course or you've talked to some other people who've had babies or you've been in a really helpful Facebook group and you've thought about your choices. That process is invaluable. It puts you back in the driving seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you, you know, a lot of tools to navigate a system which at the moment isn't really built in women's favor. And, Obviously, we don't want to be here in 20 years time talking about how women still need these, you know, birth plans necessarily, because we shouldn't be in a, in this place. We shouldn't be in a place where women are having to kind of like almost, you know, navigate a system. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of a side point. But the point is, yes, they're really helpful. And definitely it's about making, you know, I love the word plan. A lot of people say, oh, don't call them a plan, call them preferences and everything. I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to have a plan. Yeah. You know, we're adults. If you make a plan for a really um, big party, let's say, you make contingency plans as well. You know, you know that certain people might not be able to make it or it might rain or you know the band might not show up or whatever you you will have some thoughts about what to do if things don't go exactly to plan yeah but you still have a plan exactly (laughs) so it's really important to make that plan a and I think that it's really helpful for women to be given permission to to dream of the birth they want you know in other areas in life this is actively encouraged in say career People say, you know, have a vision board. Think, you know, or you know, think about what you want. Where do you want to get to? What are your dreams? What you know, and and people encourage you to do that. If you go on a sort of course about, about you know, it, boosting your business or whatever, you'll be told to, to think big, to dream big, to put your eyes right up there on what you absolutely want. Yeah. And no one ever says to you that you might not get it, but you know, you know that you know that, but you know that there's a value 
in having um, an ambition and a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, that kind of naff saying, shoot for the moon and then at least if you miss, you'll be among the stars, you know? So it's, it's, it's okay to have a vision. And also as adults, women, you know, we know that we might not get what we want and we can cope with that. Yeah. You're not going to protect women from postnatal depression or sadness or upset by telling them, forget about what you want in birth. Just don't think about it. You know, and yeah, I think that's sometimes the way it's framed that, you know, it, you wouldn't feel bad after you, after the baby, if you hadn't got your hopes up, you know, and that's a really yeah. negative to, to think like that. That's not why women feel shit when they've had a baby. Yes, yeah, so true. <laughs> that isn't not, it wasn't because of the hypnobirthing course they went on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, plan A is really important, having that vision, and it's okay to, to have that vision in, in, a, in a very grown-up, sensible way of knowing, this is my vision, I may not get it, but this is what I dream of. Mm-hmm. And then also to have a plan B, um, and also to make a cesarean plan, even if you don't want a cesarean um, and to just you know think through all of your options and think about what you want and then hopefully that will help you know I think in the in the sense that you know trauma very often comes from that feeling of things being out of control mm-hmm. um, not knowing what's going on not feeling at the center of any decisions um, you know feeling sort of disembodied in, in, a, in a room full of, of activity that's happening without your you know what knowing what the what choices are being made yeah so I think anything that you can do that helps you to have a kind of handle on the, you know, the, the possible things that could happen and what you might want in those situations is, a, is positive and can, you know, can really help how you feel postnatally. Yeah. How would you say that your births have impacted you? I think, I think the whole experience of, of birth and motherhood is, is such a roller coaster, isn't it? And it is really transformative in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I think... I do think it gives it's given me a different relationship to my body and a different confidence in my body mm-hmm. than I would have had necessarily had, especially the second and third birth where you where I really felt so powerful, you know, as I was having my babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it really, I think it does have a knock on effect. Um, but I'm not just talking about myself personally, really. I mean, you know, other women echo that I think that that kind of really sort of powerful birth where you kind of feel like it's you doing it you know and you're tuning into your instincts and you're listening into your own body and you're feeling that power yourself no one's telling you what to do that kind of birth experience I think does really affect women in a positive way yeah which is sometimes why I wonder why we're we're (laughs) It's so hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this experience which kind of really sort of powers women up, you know, and, and gives them a real kind of like injection of of um, strength and, and kind of moves them up to the next level of life, of motherhood, like feeling really like, Rah, you, yeah. know, <laughs> you know, and yet it's so hard to get that. It's, yeah. that's, that interests me. <laughs> mm, it is very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> So what would your key piece of advice be for any expectant mothers out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, don't don't feel like you can't, you know, be actively engaged and involved in your choices, you know. So make a plan. Um, don't feel like it's pointless either. I mean, I think there's a really strong cultural message 
that tells women, you know, birth is just, you get what you get, you know, it's potluck, turn up on the day, you know, it's like a lucky dip. Mm. Um, and I think that's really false and unhelpful. So I think that's the main thing that I would say to a pregnant woman now is, you know, don't buy into that. Don't think there's nothing that you can do that's going to make any difference to what your birth is actually like. Yeah you know, and start thinking about what you want. Don't feel that that's selfish or, you know, or silly. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, it's okay to want to have a positive birth experience for you. Mm. Um, a lot of the stuff I write about in Give Birth Like a Feminist is about, you know, the kind of cultural and historical stuff about women as vessels, women, you know, a healthy baby is all that matters, you know, and how, you know, there's such a long history to that behind that phrase um, in terms of how women have been perceived um, and treated and still are perceived and treated as just this container that is sort of in some way disposable um, after the baby has been born. And I think we have to challenge that and say, look, you know, we all care about our babies. We all want everybody to get through this uh, healthy and alive, but, you know, we we it's okay also for us to want to you know that not to be to our detriment we don't want to be physically um emotionally psychologically damaged by this experience and that isn't an unreasonable request (laughs) because you know health um is about more than being alive so that that baby is in a dyad with you so if you're broken physically emotionally or both then that is going to have an impact on that baby's start to life um, mm. as well. So, um, and, you know, and could have, you know, an impact also on your relationship with your partner if you're in a relationship, um, which could also then have a detrimental effect on the baby's future as well. If things, you know, do the so many, it's, it's more complicated than just everyone being alive yeah. um, and having a pulse. Um, but, you know, it, that it is said to women a lot, I think, in that postnatal period, you know, and it's it's well meant. It's like trying to be reassuring that, uh, you know, look, oh, look, look in your arms, look, look at what you're holding in your arms. And, you know, that's all that really matters. But actually, it's quite a negative way of framing it, isn't it? Because it's basically saying, well, you don't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, shut up about your birth trauma now and just get on with it. Yes, yeah, so mm. true. Well, Millie, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. It's been such a pleasure to chat with thank you. Finally. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's lovely to talk to you. That brings us to the end of today's episode, guys. Some really great information in there for you to digest. Some of you may already know this, but if you don't, I am also a really big fan of birth plans. I think they are such a great tool to use, particularly if you are birthing within the system, because like Millie said, the power of the birth plan is 80% in the making of the plan. You truly do learn so much just in the process of making one, so highly recommend. If you haven't already, I also recommend purchasing one or all of Millie's books I'll post the links to her social media handles and her website in the show notes I really hope you guys enjoyed today's episode let me know your thoughts and feelings over on the PBA Instagram and if you love Positive Birth Australia please feel free to leave some feedback on the Apple Podcast app to help this little platform reach as many people as it needs to have a great week everyone and I'll see you next Thursday for another episode of Positive Birth Australia Bye.